Hello. Hi, Royce. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, I'm Steve Sussler, and uh, it's just really a joy for me to be able to share with you today. I've decided that on Tuesday, I'm going to vote for more daylight savings time, if that, <laughs> if that is on the ballot. Christina, happy birthday. My daughter Christina's birthday today. So when she was 13, we were living in Argentina, and I took the day off to take her out, but I said I need to just drop by my office real quick. And it turned out to be like one of the worst birthdays ever. But you've forgiven me, right? We're good? All right, good. So uh, let me ask you, what, uh, what do you worry about? Or maybe use different words. What, uh, what makes you anxious? Or is there an issue that you really get consumed with? Probably like a lot of things... This is a big deal and a big problem for some of, some of us and for others, maybe not so much. Or there may, may be a time in your life when you're just eaten up with worry and then other times you're, you're, you're pretty good. Um, you know, unfortunately, about one out of five Americans have a medically diagnosed anxiety disorder, disorder. And that does not count the tens of millions of people who are eaten up with anxiety but haven't been diagnosed. You know, we, we have all sorts of things we worry about. Young people worry about, you know, friends and being in the right group, getting into the right school. Who am I going to marry? Where should I go to school? Where should I go to college? If you're in your 30s and 40s, you might worry about uh, your children. Are they going to turn out okay? And what about career? And what about uh, my budget? And... Uh, is this the right house? Older people worry about all sorts of stuff. I'm told. I, don't, I personally don't know. Um, you know, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 2 that says that some people are enslaved with the fear of death their whole life. So sometimes older folks think of dying and they think of health care and am I going to have the right health care and am I going to have enough money to last? They worry about their children and their grandchildren. Um, not me, but uh, a friend has worried about midterm elections. Um, you may have heard there are three stages to life. There's youth, there's middle age, and then there's, hey, you look great. So there's all, <laughs> there's all, there's all sorts of uh, things that are on our mind. I think for some of us, um, some sins are clear and obvious. If we tell a lie or if we steal something, then, you know, we know right away. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and hopefully we confess it, we make it right, and we walk with a pure heart before God. But I think worry might be different. Um, I may worry about an item and not even be aware of the serious sin that it represents. Worry may almost sometimes become part of our DNA. And we worry all the time, but as followers of Jesus, we don't even realize what an affront that is to God. So my question for 
me and you this morning is, does worry have a bigger influence on our life than we realize? Dr. Paul Tripp is a pastor and author, and uh, he's written, many of us live with a huge gap between our theological confidence that we celebrate on Sunday and the street-level fear, worry, and anxiety that accompanies us the rest of the week. So this, this passage we're going to study today is rich and helpful on how we can have a more peaceful and abundant life. And as we study worry today, can I ask each of us to consider an I will statement? So what has God, the Holy Spirit, impressed upon you to resolve to do because of what he teaches us today? Let's pray. Father, I just... Uh, Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house with my brothers and sisters, and I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you would teach us, that we would be obedient to do. Father, we thank you that um, who the sun sets free, we are free indeed. And uh, Father, I just pray that we would uh, receive your freedom and your peace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, God says, do not worry. Our passage starts with uh, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Starting this sentence with uh, this passage with therefore, Jesus is taking us back to what he just talked about. In the previous passage, Jesus says, hey, you can't serve both God and material things that were to store up treasure in heaven and not here on earth. Treasures in heaven last forever, and the treasures we store up here on earth will get burned up and destroyed. Last week, Dennis uh, asked us to consider and really think about who is our master? Who are we serving? So when folks hear Jesus' words, some may immediately say, wait a second, if I, can, if I store up treasures in heaven, what about all my day-to-day -day stuff? What about my needs? What about my basics? Who's going to take care of me? And Jesus addresses this worry real specifically. In these nine verses, he says, do not worry three different times. Don't worry about your day-to-day -day stuff. This word worry means uh, in Greek to be troubled, being overly concerned about, to be anxious ahead of time. It says it can lead to frenzied mental activity. Jesus starts uh, the teaching this morning being very practical and very logical. It's like he calls a timeout and he says, now wait a second, let's just stop and think for just a, a moment. Does this make any sense, what you're worrying about? He says, you can spend your whole life worrying about when you're going to die and you can't extend your life one hour. He says, you worry about clothes, but he says, I've fashioned the flowers more beautiful than any fashion you can buy. And as we're being practical here, as Jesus starts being very practical, uh, one commentator wrote that work, uh, excuse me, worry, but not work is prohibited. Worry, but not work is prohibited. Do you remember our friends in Thessalonica? Some had the wrong attitude. They said, Jesus will take care of me. He's going to return, and I don't need to work, and I don't need to worry about it. 
And Paul said, you know what? If you don't work, you don't eat. The, uh, the noble woman in Proverbs 31, she was hardworking. She got up early. She made clothes. She imported food. She managed her servants. She bought and sold real estate. She took her profits and started a vineyard. She was generous with the poor. She did all that, and her husband didn't have to worry a bit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was gonna. I was gonna wait until somebody left. Anyway, you do wonder what he was doing because, you know, other than sitting at the gate, I, what you know. Let's uh, let's go back to Jesus's comment on the birds. If you think about it, the birds work really hard for their food. They spend energy and effort all day to find food, but they don't worry. Jesus says they don't plant, they don't reap, and they don't store up in barns. The birds' system that God has set up is a daily system. God says that he'll do his part if the birds do their part. And it's the same with us, right? He'll do his part if we do our part. He'll provide if we do our part. I want to, uh, as we close this first point, I want to stay practical for just uh, one more moment. One common worry area is money. A lot of folks worry a lot lot about money. I have a friend of mine a couple years ago, and she was getting harassed. It felt like 17 or 18 hours a day by bill collectors. They had found her landline. They had found her cell phone. And she had maxed out every credit card she could possibly get her hands on and couldn't pay. And the bill collectors were killing her. But, you know, her worry was not really, really a, the sin of worry, her, or her issue was not a sin of worry, but her issue was a sin of covetousness. She just wanted everything, and she wanted what she couldn't afford and didn't need. And so I think in this instance for her, um, she needed to address a deeper sin issue, and uh, worry would be taken care of if she did that. And I think that, that when we have worry... It's always connected to a deeper biblical truth. Money, marriage, raising children, relationships. And so I would, uh, I'd suggest that in the areas where we worry about, I think we need to do a couple things. One, let's understand what is the underlying issue. Consumer researchers will, will oftentimes say that to get to the true issue, you have to ask why five different times. You know, why do you say that? Why do you say that? Why do you feel that? Why do you feel that? Why do you feel that? So I would say we should first start and say, is there, what is the underlying issue when we worry? Then we confess that sin. And then I would suggest, since it's always connected to biblical truth, we study scripture to find out what does the word say about this area. So in my friend's life, I think she needed to understand what the scripture said about covetousness and money. And then I think we do our part as laid out in Scripture, and then we can let it go. We can trust God, and he'll take care of us. Second point this morning, God says, trust me to provide. So in the middle of this passage is a key verse, verse 30. It says, O you of little faith. So Jesus started the, the, the teaching this morning being very practical, talking about clothes and food, and then he moves to faith. Jesus says that when we worry, when we worry, we show little faith. And it looks like he actually made up a word here to mean puny or tiny faith. He says, you of 
puny faith. A.W. Tozer says that our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now, by nature, no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. Stubborn, aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. Isn't that a great descriptor? Things fighting to sit on the throne that is God's. So when we place our trust and hope in things, then we feel insecure and we worry. Because we know that those things won't last. I worry because I put my confidence in things that are not secure. And our, our unspoken attitude may be, God, we, we really don't trust you when you say you're going to take care of me. Maybe a more positive way to approach this is to, is to say that when we start to worry, maybe we could have a trigger. That would be a trigger to remember and consider the power and the goodness of God. Jesus asks us to replace our worry with faith in our powerful and good God. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Tozer says that God spoke and chaos turned to order. Darkness turned to light. That's the power of God's word. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says, We're told that the Lord Jesus will overthrow the evil one with the breath of his mouth. Psalm 77.14, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Matthew 19.26, Jesus reminds the people hearing, and he reminds me and you, that with God all things are possible. And so when we're tempted to worry, let's meditate on the power of God's word. But he's not only powerful, he is good. In Exodus 33, uh, Moses is, is talking with the Lord, and he asked the Lord, he said, teach me your ways. And he, he asked the Lord for his presence to go with him and Israel into the promised land. And Moses asked the Lord, he says, show me your glory. And glory here means character. He said, Moses is saying, who are you? Show me who you are. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. God is saying that my character, my name is good. Coming back a few verses later uh, in the Sermon on the Hill, Jesus says, now if we have a little child who's hungry, are we going to give them, and he asks us for something to eat, are we going to give them a snake? Of course we wouldn't. He says, our good father knows what we need and will give us good gifts. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him, trust in him. God is powerful and he's good. And we want our faith to take us to a place where we trust in God. And even if the things that happen to us are not good, our good God will make it all work out. One of the great passages on faith in Scripture is when Abraham is being asked to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham had great faith that God would provide. When he and Isaac left the servants, Abraham looked back and said, we will return. We will return. And then when Isaac says to his father, he says, Dad, where's the, 
Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide the sacrifice. So Abraham had great confidence in the Lord's provision. Psalm 4 is written by King David when he's fleeing from his son Absalom and he's hiding in a cave. Can you imagine how, how David would feel, the anxiety he would feel? Um, his kingdom's being torn apart, his family's being torn apart, the people have turned against him, his son is trying to kill him. And he's hiding in a cave and he writes Psalm 4, You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David trusted God to provide. Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So when we start to worry about earthly things, let's put our faith in the Lord to provide. So first, let's do, God says, do not worry. Second, God says, trust me to provide. Third, God says, first things first. How cool would it be if every morning you woke up and you said, Father, what should I do today? And he answered you. Well, I think that answer would start with verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Several commentators have said that the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of God's manifesto. God's declaration on what is, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? How should we live? Uh, many of you all know Dr. Tony Evans, and he's written seven books on the kingdom of God. And he says that the, the key and the centerpiece to the whole Sermon on the Mount is verse 33. So let's carefully look at, at verse 33. First, we are to, we are to seek. Uh, the word seek is in the present imperative. And what that means is that this is not a one-time item. We're continually to seek every day, all the time, throughout our life. And as we keep seeking over the long term, God draws us closer and closer to him. And then we are able then to live more and more in the kingdom. You may have uh, picked up that I've been reading Tozer lately. Um, he said, the saints of old cultivated spiritual receptivity. They sought God first and continually, and then their spiritual receptivity grew by cultivation and exercise. So spiritual receptivity may be increased by exercise or decreased by neglect. He says that this generation of Christians is now used to immediate gratification, push buttons, a short devotion, or a thrilling story told by a returning missionary. And he, he mentioned this in 1948. <laughs> so we're to seek God's kingdom first and continually over the long term. What's his kingdom? It's where the king's will is being done. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's where his authority and power and rule is recognized and honored. It's not a place or a noun, but it's a verb where action takes place. What is righteousness? 
the character or quality of being right or just, whatever conforms to the revealed will of God. It's living by the right standard. You may, uh, you may know of uh, the, the author and theologian N.T. Wright. He's from Scotland, and he said that, uh, he said, it's interesting, he said, as I've traveled the world, I've noticed something about many American Christians and American churches. He said, uh, he thinks that many Americans have a narrow-focused gospel. He said, some will spend all their time talking about getting saved, being born again, or where they are going to spend eternity. Um, He said uh, that it's, it's, it's too narrow. Now, obviously, I in no way want to diminish that, uh, the importance of being saved. Jesus said he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save what was lost. But Jesus also came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, according to Luke 4.43, and that each one of us would bring the good news about God's kingdom to every area of our life every day. So between the time when we accept Jesus as our Savior And when we die, we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness daily as our first priority. We run hard after God every day. Verse 33 ends with the phrase, and all these things will be given to you as well. One famous example of this is when King Solomon prayed his famous prayer. He asked for wisdom, and I would say he asked to lead God's people from a kingdom perspective. And God said, I love that priority. Solomon, you have first things first. I'm going to throw in everything else. Someone said, if you seek stuff, you'll worry all day long. But if you seek the king, you'll get everything you need thrown in. Last point this morning, number four, God says, seek today. Verse 34 says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't it interesting how God has made it so important to trust him every day? He looks for our faith to be refreshed each day. The Israelites every day were given their manna. And they were actually penalized if they started worrying about tomorrow. And when they grabbed too much, the maggots took over. God told the Israelites, trust me. I'll take care of you today. Don't worry about your manner tomorrow. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that we are to ask God each day for our daily bread. Jesus says in verse 34, trust me today. I'll take care of you today. 500 years ago, there was a, uh, there was a French philosopher, and I asked Dennis how to pronounce his name. It's Michel de Monton. Thank you. And Carlos is glad I didn't have a Spanish accent to that. There you go. (laughs) Um, Monsieur Monton, Monton, (laughs) I I messed up. He said, my life, he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune. Most of which never happened. (laughs) I love it when, uh, when modern studies back up God's word. You know, all truth is God's truth, right? All truth is God's truth. In 1999, there were three clinical psychologists 
and they did a study on worry. They actually tracked people, tracked their worries. And here's what they found. They found that, that 85% of what people worried about never happened. And then, so the remaining 15% did happen. But 80% of that, the stuff that happened, people discovered that, the, that they could either handle the problem better than they thought or that the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. So literally, 97% of our, wor- of our worries are a horrible waste of time. Worry and stress, listen to this, cause all sorts of health problems. Shrinking brain mass, lowering your IQ, being prone to heart disease, cancer, premature aging, predicting marital problems, family dysfunction, and clinical depression. It makes seniors more likely to develop dementia and Alzheimer's. So the creator of our bodies is giving us good counsel on how to have the best possible life here and a healthy life here. I want to close this, um, this morning and just share a story about a woman I met uh, two and a half years ago. Uh, her name was Nineveh. This is a picture of her and her two children. She, I met her in Beirut, Lebanon. She's from Syria. She's a refugee. Her husband had just been killed by ISIS a few months earlier. And she and her children fled Syria and uh, showed up in, in Lebanon. And the country of Lebanon has 4 million people. And there were 2 million refugees from Syria and Iraq. And so the whole country was just overwhelmed. And the government had no capability to care for them or to do anything for them. But churches are legal in Lebanon. And so the churches would open their doors and do everything they were able to do to help them. Sometimes, uh, and I met people that there, sometimes Muslims would walk in a church building and be overwhelmed with the presence of God and say, I want what's in this building. And so the believers there, many are doing just such great work. But I met uh, Nineveh, and um, we were at a, um, like a testimony time, prayer meeting time on Saturday night. And people were sharing their stories. And the next morning at the Baptist church where the, the refugee center was connected to it, the Baptist church was going to have a baptism service. And then one stood up and said, I, uh, I feel like God wants me to get baptized. But uh, she said, my, I'm living with my, my children and I are living with my nephew. And he says that if we get baptized, he's kicking us out on the street. And uh, it, I think it was in an area that Hezbollah had kind of controlled. And so it was a pretty dangerous area in Beirut. And she didn't know what to do. She was really anxious. She was really confused. And two guys, after she shared her concern, two guys stood up different times and said, what? you got to decide who you're going to trust for your provision. Do you trust your nephew or do you trust the Lord? And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh my, that's tough. That's a tough word. I mean, just can't we have a meeting with the nephew and can't we work, you know, work something else? <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't say anything. Um, but she, but so she left. Nobody knew what she was going to do. And so the next, uh, the next morning, we, our group gets to church. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good-sized church building. It seats about 500 people. And uh, like a lot of churches, uh, it filled up kind of from the middle to the back. And the, the, front, uh, the front was uh, empty, except for her two children. 
And um, they were sitting on the front row by themselves. And so that meant that Nineveh uh, was back, you know, getting ready to get baptized. And there were a couple of women that uh, were going to get baptized, but because of the public nature of that service, they just said, we need to wait till after the service. And so about 10 of us waited afterwards and saw them get baptized. But Nineveh got baptized in the middle of the, in the, middle of the, uh, of the service. And so afterwards, we kind of met with her, and, and we said, tell us what happened. She said, well, she said, I tossed and turned all night long and didn't know what I was going to do. And she said, I really, I, I woke up, and I went out, and I looked outside and uh, looked, to the, to look, looked to the sky. And she said, I really felt like God said, it's okay. I'm going to take care of you. So um, she's a widow at that time. Two children to take care of, strange country, no job, back problems, and she may be on the street, but she trusted him, she obeyed. And uh, her nephew uh, kicked her out. But uh, since then, um, she has a job at a, as a bus driver. She got a job at a small Christian school there in Beirut. Her children receive free tuition at that school because of her work. This little boy finished number one in his grade school class. Uh, she has a place to live. She has led many folks to the Lord, many ex-Muslims, but many folks to the Lord. Um, she's leading a Bible study now. But, you know, she still doesn't have a country of residence. The United Nations discriminates against Christians and will not facilitate and help Christians get out of their refugee status. And so she's still trusting God every day. Psalm 63, 8 says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And I think when I, I see this verse, I think of Nineveh. She's clinging to God, and his right hand is upholding her. So um, as we leave, let's just all seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to us as well. So if I can ask the worship team to come up and uh, the prayer teams, if you could, we all need prayer. And so if the prayer teams can help in any way, please, uh, please visit with them. And uh, let, me, uh, let me just uh, close with a word. Father, I just uh, thank you for uh, your message and your words today. I thank you that your commands are clear, that we are not to worry, Father, that we are to trust you. And uh, you are good and powerful. Father, I just pray that we would uh, uh, have your priorities be our priorities, that first things would be first, and that we would just uh, refresh and renew our faith every day. We just thank you for your great love and care and power and goodness. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
Jesus, you 